Power Hour. Coal. Oil. Natural gas. Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no nonsense, no BS, no softball questions, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. This is this is the second of two episodes this week because we we missed last week and this one is from uh, the University of Pittsburgh and I went there to discuss the topic how fracking improves our environment the uh, the other one was uh, the other one at Vassar was similar how fossil fuels improve the planet so you'll see some crossover content but you also I think get a lot of new content now two things to, to watch out for or to I think look forward to in particular one I think there's a, a pretty interesting explanation of what fracking is and how it fits into the general, what we can call pursuit of energy, the, the quest to extract energy from nature and make it useful to us. You know, nature is just this big thing full of matter and energy and you know, without human intelligence, without an energy industry, that energy is, is mostly useless to us. And so the whole task is how do we take that energy and how do we use our intelligence to, to reshape nature to make the energy work uh, for us? So I think it's an int- uh, the way I, I discuss fracking is maybe a little bit different than, than you've heard before. The other thing is I think maybe the best part of this is the question and answer period because we get into a lot of uh, an issue that I have called human racism, which is that there's a certain bias against human beings doing against anything man-made in in nature. So if there's a just bias that, well, if any climate change whatsoever uh, is due to man, that must be bad. Instead of analyzing, well, what's the actual effect and what's the effect of the, uh, of the whole picture, including the energy that might have some sort of impact, it's just assumed, oh, if man's doing it, it's bad. And yet people are woefully ignorant of the massive amount of natural climate change that exists and that, you know, that it kills people all the time and that, and that it's in fact things like fossil fuels that allow us to adapt to that kind of thing and allow us to be much, much safer from uh, climate and weather than we've ever been. And, and we discuss a number of other examples and I think one thing that just comes out very strongly is that it's a very deep-seated bias that if something is man-made, it's viewed as unnatural and therefore bad, and therefore it's going to lead to something bad. And I very much take on that take on that view, as in take it on and, and criticize it. And I think there were some really interesting questions and exchanges. So without further ado, enjoy. Power Hour, because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Uh, all right, so I don't know most of you, so let's, let's uh, sort of just get a feel for where we're coming at this issue from. Uh, just a quick poll. I'll give you three options. You know, fracking is this very big controversy. Some people think it should be illegal. Some people think it should be legal, and some people aren't sure. So let's, let's see sort of where people are starting off. Clear thinks that overall fracking should be illegal. None of you have watched Gasland? <laughs> What's that? Who said yes? No. Uh, that seems okay. Let's try it this way. Um, okay, Who, let's, we'll, go, we'll go through uh, my original scheme. I, I've never gotten that response. So, so who thinks that uh, it should be legal? Okay, and who's not sure? All right, so we at least have some uncertainty. All right, well, part of my job tonight, then, will be to argue the illegal case, uh, because it's a very strong case in our culture, and it's important, uh, it's important to know, um, because you're going to hear it, uh, you're going to hear it everywhere. So basically tonight, I just want to share kind of three stories that, that shape my own uh, thinking on this issue, 
And then I think there are a couple of interesting uh, takeaways from those stories, and then we'll open it up to questions. Sound good? Okay. Now, here's one more poll question, actually. I forgot this one, but I can't forget this one. Which is, who here knows what fracking is? So who here could give a good explanation to someone on the street? Well, unless, unless you have stage fright, it's... Uh, so I, let's get clear on what it is first, because often in our culture I hear like, people say, I'm pro this, I'm against this, and my first question is already, do you know what this is? And like, explain it to me, and they can't. And you know, we want to like, get the basics of it before we have it. So who wants to try giving like a quick summary of fracking? It doesn't have to be from the dictionary. Here. Uh, it's where you uh, drill down um, below, you know, into the bedrock and use uh, water and other uh, fluids to crack the shale rocks and uh, get to the pockets of gas and extract uh, the gas and uh, some of the water. Okay, so that's, that's pretty sophisticated. So you're familiar with terms like bedrock, pockets, shale rock. So yeah, now that's, that's very accurate. Let me, I'll give a bit of a just simpler characterization. So essentially fracking is a means of more easily getting oil and gas from rocks. It's a means of more easily getting oil and gas from rocks. Now the interesting thing about oil and gas uh, that I don't think we're taught, and I, I certainly, uh, in all my years in school and uh, high school and uh, Duke University, like, I never actually learned what oil looks like underground. And so in my imagination, oil was just like this giant swimming pool of oil. And then we drilled down and we sort of sucked it out with a straw, and that's what the oil industry did. Uh, and in reality, it's not, in, and I thought it was that way for water too. And it, no, it turns out this stuff exists in rocks. So when they drilled the first oil well in America, in Titusville, Pennsylvania, you know, they had a, it's a bunch of rocks, but the rocks have, are, have enough what's called porosity and permeability. So they have enough holes in them to be able to move through them easily enough where you can sort of suck it out uh, with the stroke. Although you can't really suck it out, it has pressure, and then you have to do all sorts of ingenious things. So uh, what happens is there are different kinds of rocks with oil in them. And some of them are pretty easy to get oil out of, and some of them are super, super tight. So a lot of the history of oil drilling and gas drilling has been to figure out how do we get oil from progressively tighter stuff. And for a long time, for really since the beginning of the oil industry, there was this material called shale, which people knew about. And they knew that there was oil in it. They could actually use a lot of heat to it and get oil out. The problem, though, was that as much they could get it out, but it cost more energy to get it out than the energy you got back. So it's called a negative return on energy. So for over a hundred years, this was the situation. Now the problem with this, or the frustration was, this is an enormous, enormous deposit of oil. There's just, this, this is the motherland. For various historical reasons, this is actually where oil and gas is born. It's born in what's called this shale rock or source rock, and then through various processes, liquid, but if you can figure out a way to get the liquid from the source rock, that's, that's amazing technologically, but it, it took a long time, they couldn't do it. What, it. what turned out to be the key here, one of the keys is this technology called fracking, uh, which is hydraulic fracture. Now hydraulic fracturing, you'll hear a lot of debate in the culture about, oh this is a new technology, this is an old technology, and the truth is, is that it's both. Um, it's a technology that's been around for 70 years, and essentially what it amounts to is to, to make those rocks, those oil or gas bearing rocks, easier to get stuff out of, you crack them, basically. You fracture them with high pressure of water, uh, and sometimes and sand for various reasons, I'll get to in a second, and, and sometimes other chemicals or other substances, and you break them apart. So basically you make the hard to get, the hard rock, like the difficult rock, into easy rock. And what it turned out with a lot of really small technical innovations, there's been about 150,000 pounds in the field in recent years, you can now turn the shale, which is like solid stone, you can get oil and gas out of it. So you can basically get energy from stone. And what that's done is that's just opened up an incredible amount uh, of energy in the United States. Here in Pennsylvania is obviously a major hotbed. Uh, North Dakota has become famous for shale oil. 
And where I live in Southern California, we have what's called the Monterey Shale, which is actually the biggest oil shale deposit, and we have a whole controversy of it. Should we uh, drill it? Basically, this is a way of getting energy from stone, and the question is, is this a good thing? Now, just about everyone will acknowledge that there are economic benefits, although some people will say those benefits are greater than others. Um, but what's the what's the knock on it? What's what do people say that what about this process of using this water and sand? By the way, the sand is so that when you crack open the rock, you can keep it open. So you like prop it. It's what's called a prop it. You prop it open so that it, it stays in a good place. Otherwise, it will just collapse on itself and it'll be the harder. So what do, what do people say is wrong with this process of using water and sand and sometimes other chemicals? Uh, to crack rock and to crop it. I'm sorry? It poisons the water. That's yeah, it poisons the it. So this is, uh, and this is, this is, you know, we, do, I mean, to say the least, we do not want poisoned water. That, that is, I mean, you know, that's how we, water is how we live. There's, there are a few things more uh, important than that. So the idea, um, although it's not very clearly expressed, is that either when we go down and when we inject this stream and uh, this water and sometimes other chemicals into the rock, that th that somehow gets into the groundwater. And then sometimes people will say, okay, if it's not there, then um, maybe when once we when you're done with the water, once you once you crack open the rock, you need somewhere to store the fluid, and they'll say, well, when you try to store that, that gets more. So these are important things to look into uh, and understand. So that's just, I just want to frame for you what fracking is, what the basic controversies over it. And there are also controversies of global warming, earthquakes, so anyone's free to ask about those in the question period. Uh, any questions so far? Yes? Do you know what chemicals they are putting into the rocks? I know it's not just water, it's also like the contact chain, those are chemicals. Right. Um, for sure. So it's, it's very, as I said, there are a lot of different, um, I mentioned 150,000 patents. So part of what's going on is when you're trying to open up these rocks, it's a very, very sophisticated thing. Like the rocks are not naturally the way you want them to be. So what the companies want to do is they want to use any method they can to optimize the flow of oil or gas. Because you invest a ton of money in these things. And let's say you get 5% more gas by using a certain substance that might make it uh, come out more easily. That's a big deal. And this is, there's a certain stigma behind the term chemical, which I find a little bit weird. Uh, I was in New York, and there was a guy against fracking, and I debated him in a bar. He, he was kind of was a heckler, and I'm kind of a heckler, too. So someone stuck a camera on us. He's like, well, I'm against putting chemicals in the ground. I said, well, you know, you're, you're, we're all chemicals, right? You're a bunch of chemicals. So the question is, are the chemicals harmful or not? And that's something we can go into a bit. But I think sometimes people hear the word chemical, and they're afraid. Versus, let's say, if you're doing organic agriculture, you're using all kinds of chemicals. You're using arsenic, you're using sulfur. So the whole question is, are you using it in a context, in a context that's safe uh, or that's dangerous? Same thing you mentioned benzene. That's always going to be an issue of dosage. Like, if, if, if you have a tiny bit of benzene, we'll ingest that as human beings, no problem. If you've got an enormous concentration, then you've got, you've got big problems. So that's a uh, good question. Okay, so I want to uh, tell you the first story. And this has to do with um, thinking about the negatives of a technology. Because when I, although no one here took the illegal position, it's a very, very common position. They often say, uh, who here has seen the movie Gasland? Okay, so if you see Gasland, what Gasland amounts to is uh, fracking was involved in this problem, fracking is involved in this problem, fracking is involved in this problem, therefore fracking should be illegal. <coughs> Now, most of the criticisms of gas land have been fracking didn't cause that problem. And in fact, as far as I can tell, gas land was wrong in every single instance, which is, uh, is pretty remarkable. Uh, but I think, I don't think that's the most important argument, because I don't think the argument for any technology can be nothing can ever go wrong. Like, there can never be an accident, nothing can ever happen wrong. I think that's, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, just like if you say, well, I as a person deserve to exist only if I never make a mistake. Well, or I'm only going to be in this relationship if the person acts perfectly every second. So I want to read you a story 
of a different energy technology, not fracking. And I want you to think to yourself as I read this, and it's, it's not pleasant to listen to, but I think it's important. Should this technology be illegal? So this was a guy um, who visited uh, the mining site for a certain very popular technology. He's talking about the lake and it getting contaminated in the lake and uh, contaminates other things including groundwater. He says, the lake instantly assaults your senses. Stand on the black crust for just seconds and your eyes water and a powerful acrid stench fills your lungs. For hours after our visit, my stomach lurched and my head throbbed. We were there for only one hour, but those who live in Mr. Yan's village of Dalahai and other villages around breathe in the same poison every day. Uh, People too began to suffer. Dalahai villages say their teeth began to fall out their hair turned white, unusually on ages, and they suffered from severe skin and respiratory diseases. Children were born with soft bones and cancer rates skyrocketed. Um, they talk about unusually high rates of cancer, high rates of osteoporosis and skin and respiratory disease. And, well, I won't go on. I get the point. So let me ask two questions. On the basis of a story like that, if you hear a story like that about a technology, should the technology be illegal. And someone work conditions should be illegal. Okay, interesting. So the work conditions should be illegal. Uh, anyone else have a thought on that? Yes. I wouldn't say illegal, but I'm guessing whatever they're from, they should be allowed. I'm guessing that whatever they're from, maybe they're not allowed to be unionized and that's what So they won't say such a condition as one thing. They're not allowed to be unionized. Okay, but I mean, what if you voluntarily work at a company and then they, but then unbeknownst to you, they set up these bad, you know, they lied to you. Well, in any case, I think, I think the point you're, it seems like you're making the point that, um, you know, you want to figure out a way to protect people's rights, but, and the fact that they're being violated here doesn't mean that you shouldn't allow. Any other thoughts on this? Yes. I think that's not about so. Okay, so I don't know if, if they heard you. He said the. Um, let me just make sure. So you said the benefits. I mean, it sounds like you're saying something like the big picture. Like you have to look at, at the overall thing. So this is this is interesting because I I give this. I talk to a lot of campuses, and most uh, have a very high concentration. Uh, of people who would call themselves green or environmentalist. And, you know, they say, you know, fracking, I heard a story about fracking, therefore fracking should be legal. And I read, I read the story to them and they say, I say, should this be legal? They say, of course. And then I say, well, what if, what if I told you that this technology was windbound? So this, that's where this story is from. This is about the process used to generate the materials that go into windmills. And then what I usually get in response is what you said, which is actually true. I don't think wind power should be illegal. Uh, the point is that with any technology, mistakes can happen, uh, abuse can happen, accidents uh, can happen. And the point is that unless it inherently violates people's rights, we want to be on the premise of maximizing the benefits and minimizing the risks. But if, if you think wind power has tremendous benefits, the fact that someone can abuse it doesn't mean that it should be illegal. Now, I think that the, the benefits of women are tremendously overrated, but that's not the point. The point, so the idea of this story is it's really important to think about uh, the big picture when we think of all of these things. And one, one way I like to put it is imperfection doesn't equal, or imperfect doesn't, uh, is not, should not be illegal. Imperfect shouldn't be illegal. So if you hear this formula of Hey, something went wrong, therefore it should be banned. That doesn't follow at all. You can ban any technology uh, on that basis. So when we think about uh, the risks and benefits of, of fracking, we really need to look at the big picture. <coughs> what are the positives, what are the negatives, and what are the best things we can do uh, to solve the problem? So that's, that's the lesson I take uh, from the Dalhai story. And in my experience, um, sometimes environmentalists will see the issue a little bit differently. Once they see that, their own, there's no such thing as quote, clean energy uh, in the sense of nothing can ever go wrong. In fact, solar and wind are, are uh, deal with tremendously toxic materials and are some of the most hazardous energy technologies ever created. Solar has all the same things 
mentioned the story, and unfortunately with solar panels, you're dealing with incredible volumes of these things, which have an expiration date of 15 years, and have incredibly toxic materials. Some of them are so toxic. A friend of mine, uh, one of our solar experts at Center for Industrial Progress, she worked with them, and one of them, you could not be around them in the concentration of 10 parts per billion. So that's one part per hundred million. So you, if you hear about the fracking chemicals, those are nothing uh, compared to the stuff that's in solar. Anyway, but that's the point is not that solar should be illegal. Uh, the point is you always have to look at the picture and the solution. You want to solve problems, not eliminate problems. All right, so that's story number one. Now, story number two, uh, James, can you hand out the thing? So the, the title of this talk is, I think it's interesting. It's not something I ever heard before I kind of came to the conclusion on my own, which is that fracking improves our environment. Usually what I'll hear is, well, fracking is good for our economy, and it's not the greatest for our environment, and maybe someone will say it's not as bad as you think, but I really hear, you know, fracking improves and makes it, makes it better. Um, but the handout kind of tells an interesting story. So really when we're talking about fracking, we're talking about fossil fuels. We're talking about gas, we're talking about fracking coal. So the question is, what does it mean to have a good environment? Like, what is what do you think of, if I say we have, like, we have a better environment than we used to, what kinds of fact, what does it mean to have a better environment versus a worse environment? That's a real question. So, yes? Cleaner water, cleaner air. Okay, cleaner water, cleaner air. What else? Just in general, a better way of life. Okay, a better way of life in terms of, you know, a nicer place to live. Right, and so an extended sense, yeah, and I would I would include that under under resources. I mean, we often hear of resources just as like raw things, but ultimately, you know, do we live in a place where we have access to a lot of nice stuff around us, or are we starving and paid? That's you know, that's a big difference. So we got resources, yes. Uh, higher biodiversity. Okay, so that's interesting. So biodiversity. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, a higher number of different organisms, living organisms. The more. Living organisms might be indicative of the health of the ecosystem environment. So, here that so that's an interesting there's an interesting sort of issue in when we talk about environment. Like I said, our environment, which is you often hear about the environment, but there's always a question in environmental issues: Are you talking primarily about the human environment or the non-human environment? Because often you know people will say, well, human beings are so bad because we've made X species extinct and we should feel bad about ourselves. And, um, and certainly we have made certain species extinct. All species makes you know, other species extinct. So I guess the question is biodiversity. Is it, is it good? What if biodiversity went against human life? Would it still be good? Um, well, that, that's really like an ethical question for each individual to kind of answer on their own. I don't know okay. if I'm here to answer that question okay. for you. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, but I do take the broader point about, um, so I come from what we call the human environmentalist perspective or, or focus on the human environment that we need to be concerned about all these issues of the ecosystem, but ultimately the standard is, does it benefit human beings or does it harm human beings? But certainly it's very important to understand the broader dynamics uh, and, you know, if someone makes a certain kind of claim about climate, we want to understand that. And that brings another issue which is certainly like weather and climate. That's a big deal in terms of in terms of your environment. Because if you're in an environment where you're constantly susceptible to the elements, that's a big problem. Now, what really interested me about this was this uh, this sheet that you have in front of you. Which and, and there are other things that are on the sheet, but that every one of the things we mentioned, clean air, clean water, and, and most interestingly, resources for sure, most interestingly perhaps safety from uh, the climate, all of these have dramatically increased. And there's a statistic there uh, which is essentially that the deaths from weather-related events have gone down 98% since 1920. So, you know, we hear a lot, and I've debated a lot of people on this issue, and without going into to what extent do CO2 emissions uh, impact the climate system at all, I would say, in my best understanding, they have a very small impact, but some. And yet, life has gotten much better. So I guess the, the question I'm asking is, why does fossil fuels have this incredibly high correspondence to all these environmental factors? Why have our 
why as fossil fuel use goes up, why does everything else go up so dramatically? Or is it just a coincidence? Yes? And the big part is that everyone having clean water. Clean energy kind of equals clean water in a lot of ways. How so? Uh, you know, food purification and, you know, uh, delivery of clean water. Okay, so yeah, so purification, that's that's a really huge point because often we hear about clean water and there, uh, there's an assumption that, which is that nature gives us a healthy environment. And we wish that were true. Our ancestors wished that were true, otherwise they would have, but unfortunately they lived to age 20 or 30, in part because nature doesn't necessarily give us a clean environment. Uh, and that's why you know, people across the world still have a lack of access to things like basic things like clean water. And if you look at something like clean air, historically and throughout the world, many people, the def what is your default means of generating energy? It's burning wood. And that gives you an enormous amount of smoke in your lungs. So if, if you're lucky enough to make it to 45, you're almost always going to be off and on. So the, and then if we think about other things, like if we think about climate and whatnot, uh, or you know, susceptibility to the weather, if we compare, say, you know, the earthquake in Haiti, which was such a tragedy, where 200,000 people died. And we imagine if, it, if there was an earthquake in Chile, which was much greater in magnitude, and yet I think 500 people died. And it's because one place is industrialized. What does it mean to be industrialized? It means you have lots and lots of energy to improve the world around you. So whenever we talk about fossil fuels, it's important to think of it as, this is what allows us, this is the energy that allows us to improve the world around us, including uh, to improve our environment. So you can think of energy as machine calories. Before we could really produce a lot of energy, we just had to do all the work ourselves. And there was certainly no hanging out at a university, you know, relaxing and having talks. If someone saw this, they would say, why aren't you on the farm? Or how can you see, right? Because, you know, then you wouldn't have lights. And the whole thing that brings us out of poverty that, that the Industrial Revolution allowed was that we could feed calories to machines in much greater quantities, and they could use them much more quickly, uh, so that all of our work could get done for us. And essentially, in today's America, we have 600 machine servants, each of us doing all of our work for us. And that's our whole standard of living. So the value of energy, I think, that the main point of this story, of these statistics, is that it fundamentally improves every aspect of human life. So it's not there's, oh, your economy and then your environment are separate. They're all they're all, all of these things are ways in which energy includes you. Yes? I guess the argument, I tend to agree with you, but I guess the issue would be sustainability. Can this be sustained for an amount of time? You know, with the lack of biodiversity, you run the risk of, you know, total extinction. It's more likely to you'll have species that are exactly with different changes in the environment. Okay. Um, so how about I give you a quick answer now? I just remember to bring that up in the question period because it's it's a worthwhile thing to get a little more depth on, but I don't want to don't want to quite derail uh, the fracking issue. And the basic answer to that is uh, sustainability. I don't think is the ideal. The ideal is actually to be progressive. So if you look at a human society, a human society is constantly figuring out better and better ways of doing things, uh, and that's good. So when when I go to the gas station. I don't go to the gas station and use gasoline because I think, hey, in 10,000 years, my great whatever grandchildren are going to use gasoline. I use it because it's the best right now. But at the same time, there are all these people conspiring to figure out how to do something uh, better than gasoline. And then, you know, if you, know, if you study economics, when the price goes up, that's a huge uh, incentive. So essentially, uh, the sustainable view of resources is is not what you want. What you always want is you want the best at any time, and then what the mind does is it continually turns non-resources into resources. Let me say that again. Uh, the mind turns non-resources into resources. So oil, before Titusville, Pennsylvania in 1859, was useless black oil. Now it's the most prized resource in the world. Uranium, which is the foundation of nuclear power, was you know this weird uh, rock in the ground. And now it has the potential for thousands and thousands of years worth of energy. Uh, if you take I believe it's two Olympic-sized swimming pools. If you take Einstein's mass energy equivalence e equals mc squared, there's enough energy in those pools to power the entire uh, Earth for a year. Probably more, actually. Now, the problem is that's not a resource yet because human ingenuity hasn't unlocked it. 
So there, there's a really good economist, Julian Simon, and his point was that the resource is the service you get from the raw material that you can intelligently harness. There's a book called The Ultimate Resource, which is really the two best books on this. But the Ultimate Resource by Julian Simon and Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, which is about this from a different perspective. Okay, um, this is a slight digression, but very important question that comes up uh, all the time. And this is part of why we can expect this kind of thing to go up, although in the future it may well not be fossil fuel. It's going. So the point is fossil fuels are just, just happen to be the best, cheapest form of energy that we have now, and that's good. Um, we should use the best, but it doesn't mean that we'll always be using it. Uh, yes? One thing about your sustainability and also constantly improving and how good is the environment is imagine, I mean, if you go to like the uh, incline here in uh, Pittsburgh, they, they have photographs in the middle of the day it was dark because all the coal dust, or because people use coal for fuel. Uh -huh. And also back when they were using horses for transportation, yeah, horse manure everywhere, which had a lot of disease. Right. Who would want us to stay in that first what we have today? Yeah, it, it, exactly. I mean, at any point, um, although, I mean, often what they, they won't say that we should sustain, well, often the sustainability movement isn't saying we should sustain what we have today. They're actually saying we should use something completely different that doesn't work at all and then sustain that. And in my view, that's much worse. We can get into solar and wind in more uh, depth later, but um, there are very, very strong reasons why those have been promoted heavily for 75 years and have, have really failed. And just as, a, as one of my favorite statistics, Germany is the world leader in solar, and right now, guess how many, guess how many coal plants they're shutting down because they're building so much solar? Uh, negative 12. So they're building more coal at the most solar nation in the world is building more coal because solar is an unreliable form of energy and that's been the problem forever and it's nowhere near being taken. If it was, great. Um, although it still take a huge amount of resources and you have to deal with all the time. Anyway, yeah, so that's the, so the first story was about the big picture. The second story was about how energy and particularly fracking improves our environment. The third one will be quick because I want to do questions. And that is a really interesting uh, development like that was a couple years ago where in response to gas land and, and this furor over fracking, which I think was really a furor, I don't think it was really justified scientifically to focus on this. I think people just got focused on it because it was a new term and it sounded kind of scary and if you watch Battlestar Galactica, you know, it's, it's fun that. Uh, and it, it sounds a little, you know, they were clever in calling it uh, fracking and adding a K to it. Uh, which which is not the technical spelling. It's F A R. It's F R A C I N G. Anyway, but uh, even the Obama administration, which you can imagine wasn't exactly friendly to the oil and gas industry, Obama in 2007 in Detroit declared uh, the age of oil must end in our time, uh, and he was going to free us from the tyranny of oil, which he likened to Nazism and communism. Now, interestingly enough, in the 2002 re-election campaign, he took credit for the growth of fracking in the, the oil industry, which I consider a good sign. In any case, his EPA did some studies, and uh, Lisa Jackson, who was the administrator at the time, said, in response to all of this, she said, there's, quote, there's no, quote, proven case where the fracking process itself has affected more. So that was, that was a big uh, concession. And it sounds almost impossible because you hear all these stories. Uh, but the real lesson of this is that people have absolutely no idea what fracking is. Because if you understand what fracking is, it's fairly straightforward why this wouldn't happen. So fracking is this process of breaking apart uh, rock to get energy. Now this is the key point. Where is that rock located in relation to groundwater? Below. How far below? Yeah, so like 5,000 feet is very, that's a small distance. It can be up to 10,000 feet. So if you go to the Gasland website, I should have brought this graphic, he's got a picture of like the water and the fracking, they're like right next to each other. And, oh my gosh, if something went wrong here, it's just going to contaminate the water. And you in fact see about every you know, two millimeters, there's some crack and it's, you know, black oil is going up the water. But in reality, there's this enormous separation of about 5,000 feet from the, the fracking process to, um, to the ground. 
So it's really an unconscionable misrepresentation to act as if fracking itself is getting the groundwater. This is why it's never happened. Never, ever, ever has the fracking process led this. And that's, it's almost impossible to be accident-free, but it's because the fundamental nature of the technology is it's so far away. So fracking added no danger uh, to the process whatsoever. Now, does this mean there's no uh, potential problems? No, but we need to understand precisely what those are. It's, it's not fracking that causes the problem. Anytime you go near the groundwater is the problem. So anytime we dig, anytime we mine, anytime we drill, we can disrupt things and say oil and natural gas can get into the water. Now, fortunately, oil and natural gas are basically concentrated dead plants. So it's not the end of the world if they get there. People don't usually die. You don't really want them there, but in, as far as accidents go, uh, it's a hell of a lot better than getting, say, a bunch of cadmium in the water supply, like from, you know, from soil, or, or the kinds of uh, materials we were discussing that, that pertain uh, to the windows. What was I just saying before that? I got, I got distracted. Distance the groundwater? Uh, yes, oh, there's, yeah, the distance from the groundwater. And it's just a fact of life that any time you're near the water, um, it's possible for something you don't want in the water to get in the water. And this is the point that nature doesn't give us a perfect environment. So there are all these really interesting photos, 400 years before oil technology, of people lighting their water on fire, which is the classic image from gaslight. Now, how is that possible? How, without the evil oil industry, can people light their water on fire? Coal mining. Well, this is even before coal mine. And the issue is that, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it's meth, but the point is, Mother Nature didn't make a rule that said no methane could get into the water, and then man broke the rule. Mother Nature puts methane in the water all the time. And that's why if you see some of the interviews with these people from Gasland, the, when, except for the 11 people who have million dollar lawsuits at stake, basically every other single other person will say, no, this is this is just this has been around forever, and often what will happen is if there's method, so there's oil and gas exist in different places in the ground. Sometimes really deep, so when you frack it, you don't have much problem. But if you're dealing with stuff near the water, then any kind of natural disruption can get it in the water, including, ironically, and this I believe is, is responsible for some of the stuff in gasland, a water well. So if you drill a water well, you can actually contaminate the water because you're disrupting things and you're mixing stuff together. The point of this is just that um, there are always hazards in life. There are always negatives in life. And what we need to do is we need to be really precise and intelligent in our thinking so that we can minimize problems. And in terms of oil and gas, uh, overall, given how much oil and gas we get, human beings have done a really, really good job of minimizing problems. That's why you don't read in the news, X died from uh, you know, methane poisoning or something like that. So there's always there's always room to improve. But I think if we if we combine this this point about uh, how safe this is compared to most procedures, and we combine that with the incredible economic and environmental benefits as a whole, this this should really be this, the, the whole attitude of the culture should shift. In my view, we should view this as like the the most exciting thing since the computer revolution. Because the amount of energy we're talking about, yeah, first of all, we can get energy from stone. I mean, that, how cool is that? You just take something that's completely worthless, it was sitting there, there's tons of it, and you can just turn that into what? Well, if it's oil, you know, you can turn that into, you know, you can go on a honeymoon on that stone, right? And you can visit your friends, you can visit your family. I can fly out here and talk to people about energy, uh, which is really fun. You know about oil. Oil is like the main material in most of the products we have. So, you know, the rubber on your shoes is made of oil. Um, your clothes are grown using oil and gas uh, fertilizer. There's more. There's more. You know, rubber is oil. So there's more. There's more oil in your tires than in your gas tank. The amount of things we can do with this useless rock is just incredible, and that we're able to do it with so many benefits and so few houses, I think, is something that that we should be. Uh, Really excited. So, um, I think we're ready to open up for questions. The only other thing I'd say is, hopefully, you find this perspective interesting. I think this is something we we really need to get involved in, particularly in Pennsylvania. 
this is just all over the place. So I'd ask you two favors. One is, I know you're not supposed to have your cell phones on. Feel free to turn on your cell phones if you go to industrialprogress.net and enter your email address. Uh, you can get on our newsletter. Also, at the same website, you can enter in comments, and I would definitely love comments. So at any time during the Q&A, industrialprogress.net, hopefully you'll enter in your address and join. Uh, very, in my biased opinion, one of the best energy lists around. Uh, and with that, let's let's take some questions. And, and what's good is what benefits human life, and the way human human life works is if the human ingenuity is free, it progresses. So the ad, it's it's a bare, it's not. There's no nothing in the science of what benefits human life. There's not no room for repetition as an idea. That's just it's simply where it's imported from is a view that man man progressing by human life is an imposition on nature. So you have a whole history of philosophers, let's say like Jean-Jacques Rousseau is, is a, a very famous one, who view it as wrong for man to expand and industrialize. Not because it hurts him, but because it hurts the rest of nature, because they think it's wrong and arrogant for man to change the rest of nature. So the origin of that idea of sustainability, um, there's also a Marxist origin, but is that it's wrong for man to progress. And thus, he should be like all the other animals. He should just live in a, in a kind of circle. Like, he should just, you know, he should farm a little bit, and then maybe he produces too many kids, and then they all die, and then you, and that was the cycle of life. We used to live much, much more uh, like the other animals. And what, what industrialization and capitalism did was we adopted a progressive uh, way of life. So my view is if we look at the science of what benefits human life, Repetition uh, is, in fact, uh, a very immoral uh, idea. But sustainability is usually a direct reference to materials and energy cycles, right? When you talk about sustainability in the realm of science, you're talking about a flow of energy and materials that is repeatable, but also provides you know, a certain standard of living. It's not to say that can't be. That just sounds like jargon, so what does that mean? So, rather than non-renewable resources, you might want to use renewable resources. So is oil a renewable resource? See, that's where it gets tricky, because it is, but it's over a very large time scale that cannot be, you know, regenerated within a reasonable period of time. So I'll give you two scenarios, right? So I think, and by the way, if you go to Industrial Progress, I'd add my book, Fossil Fuels and Fuels and Planet, has a whole chapter on the fallacy of uh, renewable energy, the whole idea of sustainability. So I'll give, you, I'll give you two choices, okay? So one is uh, nuclear energy. So nuclear energy uh, comes from, uh, well, actually these are two forms of nuclear energy, but let's say conservatively, using existing technology, we know how to produce 5,000 years of, of nuclear energy. And you said that's conservative estimate? Yes. There's actually a UCSD professor who has a really good blog. Um, it's called Do the Math. And he actually sort of constructed his own basic model of um, how you know nuclear materials extracted from the earth, how it can be enriched, how it can be used. Mm -hmm. And according to his projections, it could power the US alone in terms of like kilowatt hours for 500 to 1,000 years. So I would say 5,000. So I should believe UCSD professor over the evidence. No, I'm, I'm just saying, like, from where I come from, that's okay. Okay, like, let's let's just. I'm just giving you a hypothetical. This is a thought experiment. Okay, uh, he's completely wrong. I'll just I'll say that. <laughs> explore the reason. No, I mean, the amount of uranium and thorium in the earth is completely staggering. You can also recycle. It's unbelievable. What you let's say 500 years. Okay, and we'll spot spot in the world. Okay, so we have 500 years, and let's say we can do it cheaper. Uh, and there are many reasons to think that, including. Okay, let's say we do cheaper. Versus solar, um, versus using, trying to use the whole sun. And let's even ignore the fact that all the materials in solar are very expensive and hard to find and not renewable. Let's pretend they were magically, they magically lasted as long as the sun, okay? But let's say you had one-tenth the quality of life at solar, okay? So we have, but it's gonna last for five billion years. 
Would we, should you use nuclear energy now and have one ten, ten times the quality of life? Or should you start using solar now and have one tenth of the quality of life in the name of doing it for five billion years? I think it's your scenario. Okay, so the issue is not how long something lasts. No. It's how beneficial it is to human life. So again, it's a human standard. It's, it's ridiculous to say, like, why would you, like, who cares about 10,000 years from now? Do you, do you imagine what it would be like if someone cared about me 100 years ago? Like, our technology is so, progresses so quickly. It's, it's again, it's an anti, it's, it's not respecting the role of human ingenuity and resources. So you understand with this. You talk about energy cycles, but this is the, and resources. Again, resources are, 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 are creations, fundamentally. They're value that we create from raw materials. So the whole world is just a ball of resources. And if we can get the energy from that swimming pool, that'll be awesome. Right now, we can get energy from metal, from uranium, we can get it from rock, we can get it from oil, uh, we get it from water, and there, there are five good ways of doing it. There's coal, oil, natural gas, those are the dead plants. There's nuclear, that's the metal. There's hydro, that's the water. The sustainability movement overall is against all five of those, including large hydroelectric dams. Go to, Green, go to Greenpeace's website. Greenpeace does not represent sustainability. Okay. At most, they're against four, and hydroelectric is limited. It, that's the only one that can't scale on a world scale. Right? Okay, I'm just saying, I'm not talking, I'm not trying to send you out, I'm just saying. Um, so there's a big problem when you have a movement, okay, that even opposes four out of the five sources of energy that people need to live right now, because what they're basically saying is, say, hey, people need to suffer and die for my ideal of sustainability. But I don't think they're saying they oppose them. I think they're saying they're not continual long-term, that there needs to be a transition away from them, but it's also Okay. So yeah, the, my only final thought on that is is this happens constantly, and the way that it happens, as I mentioned before, is the price goes up and you invent something. But uh, what I resent is that the people who make these claims create nothing; they never invent anything. They just try to prevent us from using today's good energy. So what right. It, so I don't agree with people who are. So what? Something. But then, but then, what they should do is just recognize the engine, how under capitalism people come up with new and better things, instead of telling them that they should use uh, solar. Yes. I have a point to address, uh, perhaps maybe your point, like for instance, we used to kill a bunch of whales so we could have land oil. And then, you know, we built a you know, hydrocarbons and coal industries and so forth, so now we don't have to kill a whale anymore and they're starting to slowly come back. All right, so anyway, I took a while on that. Uh, hopefully that was useful. But any other questions? Referring to fracking as being moral, what's moral about um, having the gas and oil industry exempt from safe water drinking standards per the Energy Policy Act of 2005. Mm -hmm. And in Pennsylvania, physicians aren't allowed to know what kind of chemicals their patients are exposed to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how is that moral? Um, okay, so one question, just so I see where it comes from. So do you think fracking should be illegal? No. Okay. So it's just I'm not. I'm not 100% against gas and oil. I'm not 100% for green energy. Okay. I just. I just wanted to make. I just, yeah. Um, so, what you're raising is a legal question about how to deal with the hazards of any given technology, right? So, if if I say that that China has really bad laws uh, about solar, then I can say that the laws are immoral. Doesn't mean solar is immoral. And by the same token, I would say the American companies often who brag about lower solar panel prices, but who achieve them through these kinds of exploitative practices, I don't know if you were at the very beginning where I gave the example of that, of literally killing people, I would say they're being immoral. But the technology itself, the question is the technology fundamentally good for human life, which means... What about it, the chemicals that are toxic to life in the parts per billion and trillion range that exceed safe water drinking standards? Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, those all those kinds of things need to be examined. So, first of all, you'd be talking about uh, about compounds that existed in only certain forms of fracking, and then the question would be, are, is what you said scientifically demonstrable? And with all due respect, I would say absolutely not. Uh, these are com so really, yeah. And, and it's a really important point. Um, the gentleman brought up the issue of, of science, and one one question I ask about any given claim is. 
is this is there a really proven cause and effect here, or is this speculation? Because there is a whole in science, you're always dealing with new science is always dealing with speculative questions, and it's it's a really difficult thing to get to a true theory of okay, this really causes. Well, we know four things cause cancer. I count those as one of them. Okay, so I'll, I'll integrate that into what. I was going to say, so even, even like the term, so she brings up the issue of, uh, of cancer. So even the term carcinogen is, I think, a pretty, uh, not a very helpful term. You can talk about carcinogenic or toxic. Like nothing is inherently toxic. Nothing is inherently carcinogen. It's an issue of dosage and it's an issue of context. Uh, unfortunately, anyone who opposes any technology can feed an enormous amount of that to a lab rat, get it sick, publish a study, get attention in the newspaper, get every environmental group behind it, or whatever pressure group happens. You can do it. Uh, An issue of dosage, so parts per billion and parts per trillion range. It's a very small dosage. I know, but I'm, what I'm saying is that these causal connections are fabricated. No, they're not. Science doesn't know. Science is not fabricated. On okay, no, so science is not like some god. Sci there are a bunch of scientists, and uh, very few of them believe uh, what you're saying, and if they did, there would be a public outcry about. Are you saying that very few scientists believe that chemicals cause cancer? Okay, yeah, we have to again be. So I referred to the question earlier. Chemicals cause cancer. That's not a helpful statement. What chemicals cause cancer, and what quantities? So. How do we know what chemical? We don't even know what chemicals they're using to even investigate this. And so should we outlaw sure chemicals? What we're to is safe. So should we outlaw chemicals? No. Am, I'm, am I saying that? But so what no, chemicals are bad? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we need to investigate what we're being exposed to. Right. On a so, so the only thing. I, I, so we disagree severely on the quality of the. You would call it research. I would call it uh, speculation or even propaganda that you're citing. So we disagree on that, right? So we've both looked at these things. I regard it as pseudoscience. The rest of the audience doesn't have much of a context. So what I would just say is, is I invite people to really look up these different claims and look at both sides and see what the arguments are. But you really need to be wary when someone says, X is a carcinogen. Like, that's not a helpful classification. You want to see how carcinogenic it is, how toxic it is. Otherwise, I could just say, organic food, that's toxic because it, you know, it, it uses arsenic. Um, you know, well, arsenic is toxic to a human being in certain quantities, and other quantities, uh, it's not. But what we know overall is, the, the big picture point, is that this is something that's immensely beneficial, and if someone is attacking it, if someone is concerned about it, they should be very solution-oriented. They shouldn't just try to find, like, oh, it, this is a problem, therefore, let's put a stop, or let's, quote, investigate. That's just a synonym for ban. It's an indefinite ban because you can always find something you want to investigate. You need to maybe on the premise of this is profoundly beneficial. If we don't do it, people will die for lack of affordable energy. People live more when they have more affordable energy, so people will live less when they don't have it. And we want to be on the solution of solving problems. And certainly, if you're talking about chemicals, uh, the most toxic, uh, you know, highest toxicity chemicals we deal with are in the solar and wind industries. Uh, yes. I guess I'm just kind of confused a little bit. I mean, I'm not sure if I understand what she was saying correctly. I mean, but I think that what she might be trying to say is that people are sort of frustrated and upset because they don't know exactly what's in it. Because even if something is carcinogenic, that doesn't inherently make it bad. Like, the chemicals I use in my lab are carcinogenic all the time. I don't really worry that much about it. But when you don't have access to the information, I think that that's sort of why people get upset and worry because you don't need to know. Right. So in many cases, in many cases, they're published where the general the general category of the substance will be. But I sort of make a distinction. If people want to argue about disclosure rules, I think that's a legitimate argument to have. But it's very different than the legality or the morality of the basic process. And one other thing about um, these these substances, uh, you know, the man-made chemicals that people are concerned about, these are. Oh, I mean, part of this integrates at the point of the basic nature of the process is to be separate from the ground. So this is, if you're worried about exposure to stuff, I mean, the worst, the, the only real place you have a threat involved 
or the, the, the biggest hazard is not when you're drilling in the ground, it's when you're transporting the stuff to the site. Because you're, once you're putting it in the ground, it's in an incredibly, incredibly diluted form. Where this is why you'll have oil and gas executives actually drink fracking fluid. So in a sense, it's, it's healthier uh, than Pepsi, uh, probably. Some forms of these fluid because it's so diluted. Where you would have a problem is you don't bring it in diluted form, you bring it in concentrated form. So one of the real things you have to be take precautions on is when you go. So with, again, with every field, the, the point here is not that nothing can ever go wrong in fracking, we shouldn't care, no. It's that we really need to protect rights and we need to be scientific. Yes? Um, yeah, I just want to say one thing on chemicals. I don't know, I'm sorry, I just got to be a very question. Because so many people will say, well, chemicals are bad. Like, the water that you're claiming to infect with chemicals is in and of itself a chemical. I just want to like, make that distinction and make sure that you know, like, everything is chemical. And then another thing on sustainable energy is, you know, like, you can't, there, there is no sustainable energy. You have to find something different constantly because, like, the amount of energy in the universe is finite. Now, you can imagine from the extent when that happens, we have complete disorder. But, like, you know, so so there is no completely renewable resource. It's going to run out of energy and usefulness at some point. So I, I, know, I just wanted to address that. Well, I was wondering about this topic because somebody on Facebook, they brought up something I haven't heard yet. Because they had seen studies that showed fracking uh, in an area yeah, that's a good one to end on. Um, it's another. There's a phenomenon that occurs, I think, with a lot of the green movement, which I call human racism, which is essentially the idea that if human beings do something, it's bad, and if the rest of nature does something, uh, it's okay. So, like. You know, if someone, if, if a lion kills an animal, you know, the animal rights people say like, oh, that's fine, that's great, that's nature. But if you human being kills an animal, that's bad, that's that's evil. And this this occurs everywhere. So it occurs with, and in my view, as human beings are part of nature, and if someone was looking at us from Mars or something like that, they wouldn't look at us and say, oh, the rest of the world is nature and we're bad. Oh, like, wow, those guys build really good nests. Kind of like you look at the dog and dinosaur, and you would say, "Hey, that's like the that's like the king of the species, or the you know, I'm not religious, but the crown of creation." And that's how I view human beings, and I think more people used to have that that philosophy, really a humanist philosophy. So whenever human beings cause something, so if I hear again, the fact that our form of energy, in fact, you know, energy is is machine calories, the fact that our that our machines breathe CO2 just like they exhale CO2, just like we exhale CO2, and because they're doing a lot more work than we are, they exhale more CO2 than we do. I don't say, oh my gosh, that's bad. How dare we have any tiny impact on any, no, my question is, what is the actual impact? Like, is it, because for all I know, it could be better or be more. Like, I, I don't have any human racist assumption about human activity. It's all scientific, what benefits life. So this, this goes to seismic activity. I mean, you are causing seismic activity on a certain level like any time you're doing anything in the ground. And the, so you can call anything an earthquake. And in fact, I wish I had the numbers, but there's the number of quote unquote earthquakes is just staggering that happen on a daily basis, just most of them are not perceptible. So what you want to, uh, thank you. That's fine, sir. This is made of oil. Um, okay, so the, the number of earthquakes is just staggering. So. If you, any technology is underground, you can say, oh, it's causing seismic activity, that's not scary. The question is, is it causing seismic activity that's dangerous? And the evidence is very far from it. These are very tiny blips. What's interesting is that the opponents of fracking do not seem to be genuinely interested in either groundwater or seismic activity. The evidence is they never discuss uh, like solar and wind elements and those impacts, those threats to groundwater. And they never discussed the fact that in, in Northern California, uh, which is not too far from me, we've got, you know, geothermal produces real seismic activity. Like, that there are cases that it's causing 4.0 earthquakes. Yeah, I didn't do those studies, so I can't 100% confirm that, but there's no interest whatsoever when the politically correct technologies cause these consequences. Because they're seen as natural, right? They're seen as 
I don't know why drilling super deep in the ground and getting geothermal is more natural than taking dead plants and turning it to energy. But nevertheless, that's the that's the view. But I, I would caution against this view that if man did it, it's bad, and if the rest of nature did it, it's good. Um, we should evaluate everything by does this uh, promote life. And with that, sign up at industrialprogress.net. Feel free to email me at alice.com and feel free to come up. Oh yeah, and James says, if you want to come to dinner with us, you're welcome as long as you give at least uh, a dollar or a pen. Uh, and thank you for coming, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the speech and the follow-up question and answer session. I don't really have anything more to say. I think, I think it was a good event. I think we covered a lot of different things. So I'll just say, as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can contact me at alex at industrialprogress.net. As I always say, I, I should, I guess, say to, to be true to form, questions, comments, love mail, and hate mail, you can contact me at alex at industrialprogress.net. Next week, we'll have a new show, a new guest, or maybe a new speech, depending on what, uh, on what happens. But in any case, I hope you find it interesting and educational. So for now, that's it. Enjoy your week. I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.